If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Luke chapter 6. And um, we're going to read a, a larger portion than I uh, announced. But start in verse 17. I think we need to read the whole context here. This is what's sometimes referred to as the Sermon on the Plain. It's, uh, it's a parallel to the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, you see a lot of uh, similarities in it, but it is a different moment. Um, Jesus has spent the night in prayer and has been uh, with his disciples on the mountain. And they, he chooses the twelve who will be his apostles. And then he comes back down with them. And then this, uh, this discourse of, occurs uh, in this chapter of Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 17. So if you would uh, follow along with me as I read, and I'm going to read from 17 to the end of the chapter, but I promise I won't cover everything in great detail, but I wanted you to get the context of this passage. And he, that is Jesus, came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and, Sid uh, Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes in his, uh, on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. 
and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, and but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been built well, well built. But the one who hears and does not do them, do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Let us pray. Father, now we ask that your spirit would attend your word and illumine our minds and hearts to understand and that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. As you can see from this whole passage, and the reason I read all of that lengthy passage was because I wanted to understand that the context that's going on here is that many people are coming to hear Jesus at this particular time. It, it, the crowds are enormous. The, uh, the people are coming and they are finding in Christ healing. There is power that heals them of their illnesses. And he, Jesus takes this opportunity then to instruct and to teach them and so uh, what we, the conclusion, which is what I wanted to focus on mostly tonight, is where Jesus uh, asks them this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? As it turns out, I think from not only this passage, but other passages of Scripture, we can see that there were basically three kinds of people who were hanging around Jesus. 
uh, there were those who were absolutely hostile to him, scribes and Pharisees being a couple of those kinds of people. They were people who were out to catch him and trick him and ask him questions and get him to say something wrong or something uh, that would get him in trouble in some way. Uh, they were uh, obviously not believing in him, nor did they, uh, did they obey his words. Uh, and then there was a, another group of people who were obviously committed to him and who, who he was committed to them as well. This was the 12, not only the 12, but others as well. But they were the ones who you could say heard his words, who'd come to him and heard his words, who believed in him and who obeyed him, at least as they were working on learning to obey him. And then there was a third group that Jesus addresses here. The people that would come to him who would hang around and who would call him Lord, Lord, but not pay any attention to what he was saying. They came with their own agendas. Sometimes it was for healing and sometimes it was for food and other things. But they really didn't commit themselves to him and he did not commit himself to them. As we read in the Gospel of John in one place, he knew what was in man. And it's this middle group or this third group, I guess, that we that he addresses here when he asks this question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? So he might categorize the three groups just to keep them straight in your mind. The hot ones, the cold ones, and the lukewarm ones. Uh, the hot ones, they believed in Jesus and they were committed to him. And they were they were... They were saved, they were, they were redeemed by Him, and they knew it, and they had assurance of that. Then the cold ones, they didn't believe in Him, and they knew they didn't believe in Him, and they rejected Him. And then the lukewarm ones, these are the ones that are in trouble, because these are the ones who, who are around Jesus, who say the right things, but who in their hearts do not pay any attention at all, and do not... Uh, as we heard this morning, even recognize his authority in their lives. And so this is the group that Jesus addresses when he comes to this section. That After giving all this teaching, he says, Now, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? I would like to have been there in that moment to see what the reaction was, but I imagine that it got kind of quiet at that point and then Jesus goes on and he says, I, uh, I want to tell you a story that will describe this situation uh, exactly the way it is. Because what was lacking in this group of people who said, Lord, Lord, but didn't do what he, uh, he commanded, what did not obey his words, what was lacking in them was, was faith that obeys, a kind of faith that obeys, uh, I, we can call it obedient faith, and I think that's not a bad word. Uh, it's faith which shows itself by obedience to Christ's words. And so as we think about this passage, this last paragraph of this chapter, which is what I'm focusing on, and then I'll, I'll draw in some other parts as we go. Uh, there are three observations that we can make here. First of all is that Obedient faith is urgent. Obedient faith is urgent. Why is it urgent? First of all, because everyone is building a house. The story is about two builders 
But in reality, the house represents where people live. It is the house that you build, in this case, the house that they, these people were building, the place they were going to trust, to stay in, to be safe in. It was where they lived out their lives. We could say it's their lifestyle. It's the way they lived. It was a manner of living. It, it involved their belief system and their practices and their day-to-day -day living. And so no one can avoid the, the, the fact, whether you're conscious of it or not, you are building a house. We all build houses. We build the house that we live in. That is this figurative sense of a house, the place where we, where we dwell, the place where we stay, the place where we, we hope we'll be safe uh, from whatever dangers there may be. And there are dangers. And that is the place in the, ca in the case that Jesus is calling his disciples to. It is the place where you come to him and hear his words and do them. That is the house that's built on the rock. And there's another house that's not built on a foundation. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Everyone is building a house. Secondly, everyone will experience a storm. The storm was common to everybody. In the, in the story, there are two people. Both of them experienced the same storm. Uh, and this is going to be true for all of us. Every one of us, as we go through life, are going to be hit with things we didn't expect or we didn't expect them at that particular time or we didn't expect them in that particular way or we didn't think it would happen in that, at that moment or in that intensity. And many, many, many times we're surprised at how life ends up turning out for us. I think if we raised our hands, every one of us here who's over the age of something or other would probably say, I have lived through things I never believed would happen. The storm will hit every one. Uh, and depending on where you are when the storm hits de determines the results or the, the consequences of your particular situation. I remember, this is uh, an illustration of an illustration, I guess, uh, years ago, after uh, about the time of the Vietnam War, I met a uh, U.S. Air Force pilot, fighter pilot who, who flew uh, missions over Vietnam. And he used to describe the phenomenon of flying uh, and surface-to-air missiles were shot at their planes. The Air Force pilots were taught, were trained, to immediately take in, go into a dive. Now, this may be old technology, but in those days... Uh, this pilot described the situation is that as soon as you perceive that that missile is heading for your ship, your plane, you must go into dive immediately. I mean, you go down to get under the radar so that it can't detect you any further and the missile will miss you. He said, there's no time to reason this out or think about what should I do now. You react according to your training. What you have done day after day as you've been trained in, the, in, the, uh, in your training period, uh, you have to react according to that. And that's the, way you get your, that's the way you save your life. If you don't react to that training, if you don't react in the way you've been trained to react, uh, you die. And there's no escape. And so it is. When we build our house 
the place where we live, when the storm comes, will what we have de developed or, de or have constructed, what we have built, what we are living in, what is our life, is what we will have to stand or not stand. So obedient faith is urgent. It's not optional. It's not, well, we'll do it sometime. We're doing it already. And kids, you're doing it already. I don't care how old you are. If you're old enough to hear me, you're already doing it in some way. You are learning how it is I'm going to live my life and how I'm going to live my life before God. Obedient faith is urgent. Secondly, obedient faith makes a difference. Now, if you saw the two houses, let's say these two houses had been constructed, and you walked by and you saw the two houses, you wouldn't necessarily notice a big difference in the houses. Because the foundation is not visible, it's underneath. It's out of sight, but it's there and it's very real. But when the storm comes, that's when you find out what's really there, what's going on beneath the surface where nobody can see it anymore. I could speculate as to why people would build, why someone would build a house without a foundation, a proper foundation. I think that answer to that is in the hearts of everyone who questions whether they will follow Christ and obey Him. But in the case of the storm, when the storm comes, uh, the, the, the presence of obedient faith makes a difference because the house built on the, on the foundation will be stable in the flood or in the storm, whatever comes. And whatever that storm may be, and it, you can fill in the blank. It may be a sickness that you did not expect, a death that you did not even possibly imagine uh, someone in your family. It might be financial crisis. It might be some trouble with the law. It might be any number of things. But the storm will reveal whether there is stability or not. So if the, there, there will be either, in one case, the, when, the, when the flood came, it says that it broke, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. And but the one who hears and does not do his words, he says, is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. The, the ruin of that house. It was immediate and it was great. I don't know if you have had experience of ever being in a flood or having to deal with uh, great amounts of water uh, moving through or whatever your situation is in. But uh, when Mary and I lived in uh, Argentina, we lived in the, uh, for about seven years, I think, in the mountains of Cordoba, where it's a beautiful area with mountains and mountain valleys and lakes. Uh, it's a scenic area. And it's a touristy area. And tourists would come from all around and like to go out to the little rivers, not shallow, rocky kind of riverbeds. And they were, it was fun to go out and watch the water coming down, gurgling across the streams. And a very typical thing that we were 
tourists were always warned about was if you go out, let's say, in the middle of a stream and you wade out, it's ankle deep. It's not, it's not a problem. You wade out and you get on a boulder and you sit there and you're just soaking up sun and enjoying the sound of the water coming down. So nice. But there's a great danger that there could be one of two things occur. Uh, a flash flood up, or up the, in the mountains, uh, a, a storm, an afternoon storm that would bring a gushing of water coming down. Or, and this is even probably sadder, is that for some reason the people operating the dam upstream would decide that this is a good time to turn some water loose and a big body of water comes down. And so you're out there in the middle of the stream in the, on top of the boulder and you notice that the water is getting a little higher, but it's kind of fun. It's sort of, it's sort of mesmerizing. It, it, you know, it just kind of hypnotizes you a little bit. And you're like, the water is getting up. And you, then you're sticking your feet in it. And before you know it, you are, you are wet, swept away and lost. And this happened to a number of people. And this is the way it is in, uh, when there is a house without a foundation and it's swept away, and there is great ruin. And so the point that Jesus, I think, wants us to understand here is that obedient faith makes a difference when the storm comes and when the flood comes. Third, obedient faith requires action. Obedient faith requires action. What does it mean to build on the rock? Go back to verse 47. Uh, in your text, Jesus says, after asking him this poignant question, why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? He says to them, everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. This is simple. Uh, it's not necessarily easy, but it is simple. Come to Jesus Christ. Obedient faith requires that we come to Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God, the incarnate Word of God, second person of the Trinity, God the Son. This morning we read 1 Corinthians 1.30 where it says that Jesus has made to us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We come to Him. When we come to Him, we don't go to anyone else. We quit going to others. We quit looking to any other thing for our salvation. We come to Him. We bring ourselves to Him in whatever condition we are. Uh, the mess that we've made, the ruin that we've made of our lives, and we come before Him and we call upon Him. We ask Him to receive us, to forgive us. Uh, and we make, our, we make Him our Lord and our Master. We we take Him for our Savior. We give ourselves to Him and we take Him forever to be ours. The Lord is my shepherd. It's great words. He is to those who love Him, to those who come to Him, who come to Christ. Secondly, we hear His words. Jesus said, who, everyone who comes to Me and hears My words. They must hear what he says. What is it that he's saying? I trust that you have, if you know, have, if you have come to Christ, you have also committed yourself 
to make it the study of your lifetime to know His words. To know His words well. You come here to hear the Word preached, but more than that, every day, uh, every, every time you can, receive instruction from Him through His Word and read and study and meditate and, and let His Word be your delight. As Psalm 1 says, His delight is in the law of the Lord. So we come to Jesus. We hear His words. And finally, we do them. His words were not given to us to make us uh, more intelligent or to, uh, so that we're smart. They were given to us that our lives might be transformed to conform to the image of, him, of Jesus Himself. So, what did He command? Well, what He said is really the whole Bible. Because the Word of God that God began giving to us from the dawn of creation and all the way through uh, into eternity has revealed in here in the 66 books of God's Word. All of this is God's Word. The Word became flesh. and Jesus was among us and He lived among us. But He gave us many instructions and many words and many commands. And here are seven of the things that He says in this passage very briefly. I'm going to summarize some of these points. Uh, in, in this discourse that he gave in this particular moment uh, before the multitudes of people on that level place that he was gathering them, he gives them, starting in verse 20, a list of what we could say are Jesus' value system. What is it that's important to him? And he's calling us to adopt his value system. Verses 20 to 26. Let's read them again just to remind ourselves. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil and, and account, on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. And behold, your reward is great in heaven. So their fathers did to the prophets. You see how backwards this is from what we usually think of as important? It's important that we not be poor that we have everything we need, that we have a secure retirement, and that we build up our bank accounts. Uh, we, don't we do not uh, uh, aspire to be hungry. We do not long for opportunities to weep. These are not wonderful things. We do not like it when people hate us. Uh, some of us uh, have stood up here and said, we're people pleasers, right? Um, maybe that's... Uh, one of the fault, faultings, uh, failures of, uh, of some of us in the ministry. We don't like it when people hate us. We don't like it when people spurn us. We like people to love us, and we like to be, uh, we like to be popular. But that's not what Jesus said. He said, you should rejoice in these things, the very opposite of what we all tend to seek. And then he says in the, on the other side, but woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. Uh-oh. 
That's what we always wanted, right? To be rich. And he says, be, beware. Woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. All these things are things that we pretty much normal people, or should we be normal people? I guess we shouldn't be normal people, but normal people seek these things. And if you aren't normal, you must be a disciple of Jesus. You're just weird. So maybe that's something to think about. So obedient faith requires that we come to Jesus, that we hear his words, and that we obey his commands, first of all, to adopt his value system. Secondly, in verses 27 to 35, love your enemies. Oh, my. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. From the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And, and if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the grateful and the evil. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, He says. Jesus didn't just say, don't take revenge. Don't do them harm. He says, love them. That's hard. But that's what He calls us to do. And he showed us how to do that. He died for sinners. And as he died, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That is, the, that is the Savior. That is the Lord. That is the Master that we follow if we are his disciples. And if we have obedient faith, we take this seriously. Third, 30, verse 36, be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Be like your Father, He is saying, who is merciful. His mercies are new every morning. How wonderful. I know I've heard many, many prayers prayed in the morning. Lord, Your mercies are new every morning. We say that, right? Frequently, maybe. We're so grateful. A new day. It's just merciful. I get another day of life. Lord, you didn't zap me yesterday. You give me another day to grow and to know you better. Be merciful like your Father is. Number four, be generous in forgiveness. Verses 37 and 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, 
it will be measured back to you. He says to be generous in forgiving. Instead of judging, forgive. Instead of condemning, forgive. In the Lord's Prayer, which we have been studying uh, some on Sunday mornings when I preach, is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Be generous in forgiveness. Number five, be, seek to be Christ-like. In verses 39 and 40, Jesus said to them, He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. This is the goal, to be like Christ. This is what He is working in us. Is we might be like Him. The ultimate end of our destiny is to be made like Him, conform to His image. Uh, and so we seek that even now. Even in this world, and even as we struggle, and as we have our ups and downs, and good days and bad, but overall, we seek to be like Him in these different ways. Number six, correct yourself before correcting others. Verses 41 and 42. He says this and asks them a question. Why do you seek, see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take, your, take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, my, uh, one of my applications to this principle here of not taking the, attempting to take the speck out of your eye before I take the log out of my eye. One of the things that uh, it seems to me is that it's the speck in other people's eyes that bothers us more than the log in our own eye. This is aggravating when you talk to somebody and they have a speck in their eye and you're looking at them and you want to take the speck out or whatever the thing is. It doesn't have to be a speck in the eye. It may just be some characteristic. But what Jesus is saying is, guess what? That characteristic that that person has, that's the same one you have. And that's why it is so annoying because it reminds you that you have the same thing except it's still there. And you want to fix that person before you fix yourself. Jesus says, no, work on you. And then what happens? A new thing begins to happen. You have, first of all, you have experience. And secondly, you have humility. Because, hey, I had this problem. And guess what? Jesus helped me get it fixed. And can I help you? Maybe we can find a way. Maybe it'll work the same for you. Correct yourself before correcting others. Uh, one of the men who mentored me uh, as a young Christian years ago uh, used to make this comment. He says, when you correct someone or rebuke someone, there's an implied commitment to help them to correct their problem. And if we can't, at least we can say, I don't know how to fix this but maybe together we can figure it out. We don't know how to fix everything in people's lives. 
but we ought to at least pray for them, come alongside, commiserate, and seek God's answers. Seven, bear good fruit from a good heart. Verses 43 to 45, finally, it says, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does, again, does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Bear good fruit from a good heart. Jesus said, you are known by your fruit, whether it's good or bad. This includes everything. Our attitudes, our words, our actions, uh, the things we do, the things we don't do, the things we choose. And it all reflects on Christ uh, and our relationship with Him. All of this is about building a life, building a house with a foundation under it that will stand in the storm. What we're talking about here tonight is not earning our salvation by good works, but it is demonstrating our faith by our good works. If Christ is yours, if He is your Lord, if He is your Master, if He is your Savior, if you are His disciple, there has got to be obedient faith in your life. I would urge you to think about it. Do you have obedient faith? Or is it merely, Lord, Lord, give me what I want. Help me with what I have. Take care of my problems. And I will not listen to what you say. And I'm not going to take this seriously because I don't want to. I just want to do my own thing. May that not be our attitude. Well, I remember an old hymn. I don't know if we can sing it. Maybe we can. Draw me nearer, Lord. And there's a line in there that says, I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to you. For there I will build a foundation that will stand in the storm. Let us pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. I pray for those who have been here listening tonight. Lord, I pray for clarity. Lord, I pray if uh, there are some who have deluded themselves because they say, Lord, Lord, but don't do what You say, I pray that they would be convicted, that they would repent, and that they would seek uh, Your forgiveness and Your power to live out Your words every day until You take us home. Lord, grant us clarity on these matters. May we know You in truth and build on the rock that is Christ Jesus. In His name we pray. Amen.